Hi everyone and welcome to the second episode of the Keynote Podcast. I'm Frankie Reed Borrello and I'm really lucky to have with me today Ian Cast. Ian is a friend of mine who I met through Charlotte Dujardin uh, and as well as being a famous coach and dressage trainer, uh, Ian is also Charlotte's best friend. And uh, Ian, you, you, this whole story started out because Charlotte's mum approached you when she was about 15 to ask if you could teach her, is that right? Uh, hi Frankie, yes. Um, I just want to say a quick thank you to yourself and uh, Keyflo for inviting me along to do this podcast. Um, yeah, that's exactly how the story starts really. Uh, Charlotte's mother approached me, uh, it must have been about 2010 or 2011, I was teaching uh, a client uh, of mine at the yard she was stabled at. And um, I, yeah, she approached me about teaching Charlotte, and uh, I saw her trot round on one of her ex-show ponies, and I was like, yeah, you're quite good. And uh, she kind of had something about the way she rode. Uh, straight away, uh, as, as a coach, you can you kind of get that feeling, the exciting feeling, oh, this, someone, someone's got some talent here, and... and uh, yeah, that's how it all began. And since then, we've kind of had a crazy journey all over the world. <laughs> it's It must be such an unusual experience or a unique experience for you to be able to share everything with Charlotte that she's going through. Um, and I'd really like sort of the first part of the podcast to talk to you about that and what it's like having a best friend who is one of the world's most successful British athletes and probably the best dressage rider in the world, especially at the moment. Um, so firstly, have you been to any amazing exotic places that you'd love to go to again? <laughs> Luckily for me, Charlotte loves to have company and uh, we've, we've, we've gotten on pretty much from that first day. And there's something about the way I'm quite a relaxed character, I guess, and uh, it's worked really well. And, and because that has continued on in our friendship into the sort of competition thing. I've, I've been managed to get be by her side at Olympic Games, uh, European Championships, World Championships, which on the business side of things for work, for me as a coach as well, has been an invaluable experience and, and something that I know money can't buy where I've been. I'm, I'm so fortunate. I've been literally with her 24-7 Okay, not when she's sleeping, <laughs> and when she's having a test, I'm not with her. But um, up until those moments, we're we're in it, it, uh, by each other's side. So um, those competition experiences have been incredible. Uh, going to Arkan and things like that, it's, it's it's been amazing. And then on the flip side of that, it's been uh, going to a little place called Buckingham Palace. That was kind of fun. Uh, going to um, the, one of the first screenings or the first live show of. X Factor. I, there's tons of really, really exciting things. Always, oh, you well know, we went to a little sporty, a sports personality <laughs> of the year <laughs> event. So there, she's really good like that. We're, we're we're always sort of doing those sorts of things. And I travel with her when she goes to uh, train riders in Canada. We've been to Australia together. I mean, it's been an absolute whirlwind tour, and hopefully, it shall long continue. You are obviously a really integral part of her team and part of her life. But uh, it's interesting to know, was there ever a point at which it was decided that that was going to be your role or did this just kind of develop naturally? No, it's just an organic kind of thing. It's just happened. It's, it's uh, yeah, quite hard to 
and that sort of thing. I think it's just I, I'm that character that I, I want. She's my best mate, and I kind of want her to perform at her best. So I try to help manage the situations around um, to help her do that. And that, uh, that's never been discussed. It's just something that, yeah, that has sort of happened naturally, really. Talking about managing... Um you know, the best environment so that she can perform to her best. Sports psychology is a subject that really interests me. Uh, and I know that you find it quite interesting as well. Um, and obviously, when athletes perform really well, there's the, you know, the huge benefits to that. But when things don't quite go as planned, you have to learn how to cope with disappointment. And obviously, being a part of her team, if things don't go to plan, uh, you have to be there to help her. But how do you cope with the disappointment personally? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's, it's something... Yes, we've, we uh, have worked with a sports psychologist um, and that was, for me, really interesting to be involved in uh, and I, I, st I communicate with the lady um, whilst we're at competitions as well. Um, it's, not, it's not anything that we don't uh, do or we did before. It's just reinforcing some things that are, that are useful and when it comes to, I mean, fortunately, there's not been many disappointments um, <laughs> that that, uh, that we've had to deal with. Um, there was a big uh, a sort of event in the sense of Arkan last year. Um, yeah, the sort of wheels fell off a little bit in the in the Grand Prix, and in it, we we took it as a. It was disappointing at the time, and and it it was hard in that situation when obviously Charlotte's very upset, the team is very upset because you, you worry that the horses uh, remember these sorts of things and, and Pallegro is quite a, a sensitive character so it was a, bit, a little bit of a concern then the next day and also you worry then the judges, will they think all oh, she's made mistakes now or uh, are they going to punish you for that next test and things like that, they're always looking a little bit harder for those errors um, so that was an interesting the, the sort of day after or so that test of the Grand Prix was, was quite difficult managing what, the positive things to say because you don't want to be patronising and you don't want to say things that are obvious. I almost have to, in that situation, let Charlotte express her feelings um, and help in any way I can with that. And it was it was from that event that we then went on to work with the sports psychologist because it was a difficult time because the pressure from the press was in so intense after that. It was just all guns were blazing to this is the downfall of the, the best pair in the world. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's a difficult one to... It's almost more of a listening role. Um, and I don't find... It's really strange. I don't get nervous until she's in the arena. I can deal with anything. Uh, uh, the, the, I, if I am nervous, I never let it be shown. It's, I, I know that's not the place that she needs to be in. So like, yeah. before she gets on, we're listening to music. We're, we're always together in that process of the, next, the last hour or so before getting on. We go off to the horse box or to the hotel to get prepared um, and to get ready. And it's, it, I try, we try and make that a fun experience because you don't want to be 
in a nervous way when you're about yeah. to perform in front of thousands of people. So, um, but I'd say back to the question with the, for me, it's more, uh, as I say, fortunately, it's only been one real disappointment. Not in a way, it wasn't even a disappointment. It's a, uh, one situation where we lost control of the situation with what happened. Um, but it was a real education on learning now how to deal with those things. It's happened, and then you've just got to move on from it. Is there ever a point at which... Um once you've discussed things with her and been there to support her, when you sort of go back to your hotel room and you have your five minutes to yourself where you just think, oh, gosh, that was really sad or that's such a shame, and then you sort of put it to bed and move on and then you're back there being her support and her rock, which you really are. Um, I don't think I do. I just... I I guess I would have done. I mean, as I say, it it was... I mean, I do have a terrible memory, but it was last year. I think it was last year. So that's how bad it is. Um, but <laughs> I, I, we would have dealt with the situation, and, and I would have tried to just be really positive to think about the next, the next thing. And that's the way I, I try to be around her, is just to try to be, to be positive. And that's the same with my own clients. It's, it, there's no point looking back at things. You've just got to try and be positive all the time. Um, that, it, maybe I might have been a bit like, oh, God, a, a little bit anxious the, day, the next day or that night, thinking about what's going to happen the next day. Um, but majority of the time, I, I, I'm quite level-headed at dealing with that stuff, and I guess that's why she likes me being around. Obviously, um, athletes, top athletes, have many different ways uh, in in which they can perform best i mean tennis players we, we know that their coaches are a really really vital part of their team do you think that charlotte having a relationship w- with you and you sort of being there as her support system is something that other riders should look to have or do you think it's very much individual um i think it's individual i mean you see uh there are some uh, on the circuit you see riders have uh, their partners or um, their trainer or something around. I mean, we we have such a good team around with with all the world class team and things like that at the big shows. It's it's very much a whole team environment, uh, but we can do our own thing separate to them. Um, but it is, I think it's horses for courses in that some people just don't need the support. I, uh, there are some athletes, some of the athletes I think prefer being a little bit independent. Thinking about it, there aren't that many. There's always there are people around with those riders, and I think that's mm. whether it's just someone to talk to or eyes on the ground. Um, some riders are very good competition people, um, and others are not. I mean, that's what I find with Charlotte. It's never really about the competition because she's pretty nails at that. Their dressage has become increasingly more important in the eventing world, and. I wonder whether that's because of its growing popularity in the pure dressage world. And it's interesting because in this week's Horse in Hand, there was an article about the need to modernise dressage, which isn't the first time it's been mentioned. And it's funny because when I first uh, heard this being mentioned a couple of months or maybe a year ago, I was quite surprised because I personally felt that since the Olympics in 2012, that dressage has really launched Um, into a wider audience and sort of out of the equestrian world and I wonder 
especially out of the three equestrian Olympic sports, I think that it's probably developed the most. Do you think that there's still a need to make it more appealing and accessible to a wider audience? Yeah, I, I saw the article as well, and um, like you have heard about a few things within the last year or so, we were um, we were fortunate enough to go to the Global Dressage Forum last year, and it was a big talking point there. Um, it's it's a tricky one for me. I um, with the modernising of the sport. If there's a sort of to and fro between people wanting uh, to, they're talking about shortening, uh, for instance, shortening the Grand Prix test, the first team test or part of the team test. It's, it is it is difficult to sell 10 hours of dressage um, to TV companies and things like that. Uh, they, they're talking about shortening the, the Grand Prix test. Many riders aren't against it. Some are. The plus side of it, it it's less uh, pressure on the horses if you're doing, for instance, in the Grand Prix you do, I don't know, three piafs two, three extensions or four uh, why not just do two of each, it could shorten it a little bit but it won't make a dramatic difference but it can shorten from seven minutes to, I don't know, five and a half but there's still over a hundred competitors, I think at the World Question Games we had a hundred competitors in the Grand Prix then it, it, it's cut to 50 for the special and then cut again for the freestyle I think development needs to happen in that first part, but I think the, the special and the freestyle, I mean, the freestyle is, has become the pinnacle of it all. I mean, um, that's what entertains people. That's what the crowd can get involved with. Like you, since 2012, um, with the success that Charlotte had and the team had, has put dressage on the map. And, and uh, I play a lot of tennis, and I, my, at my tennis club, they followed the Olympics, and they followed now Charlotte's career, and I get people coming up to me all, all the time asking how we're getting on and where we've been and where we're going. They're following us on Twitter or on Facebook. There's so much interest, which is wonderful for the sport. Um, but the, the difficulty is, is, uh, is the first elements, not the freestyle. For me, there's something for the championships, Olympics, Worlds, Europeans, that might need to alter... But for normal, regular shows, I don't think it. I don't think it needs to change. The dress code thing. I think, yeah, we can we can develop it or adapt the rules a little bit. But I can't see why um, dressing someone in pink and purple is going to make that attractive to any more people. In my opinion, um, I think that's, that that's making it a little bit too circusy for me. But. Um, I can see the interest of getting other people, uh, trying to get people in. Um, I don't know, like the introduction, we have uh, this Team Quest, uh, one of BD's new sort of systems they've brought in for unaffiliated dressage teams, and they can compete at affiliated to championships. I think that sort of thing is a really good idea for the lower levels. It is tough because that's not selling TV uh, stuff. That's the difficult part. As I said, that first initial Grand Prix. I'm not sure much more can be done with the, or needs to be done, I should say, for the freestyle. When we were in Vegas, it was a packed house. It always is every championships we go to for the freestyle. It's like we fill football stadiums. It is insane. Um, so I don't think that element needs to change, but perhaps the beginning of a competition when we need to try and attract people in, whether they uh, make a difference with the team event, they don't make it over so much whether there's a there was talk of 
um, couple of uh, errors and you get eliminated or something like that, something really cutthroat. But then all you, you could have a mistake happen from an outside point of view and then you're eliminated. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talking to be done, I think. It's interesting, whilst you were talking about that, I was thinking about, you know, dressage and show jumping and eventing, they all have uh, sort of build-up rounds producing the last most important round like the freestyle is sort of the party piece for the dressage and yeah. you know the eventing most people watch the cross country so i don't understand why it's such a big issue if you don't have full numbers for the team tests because that's not what is putting the crowds in really if you've got numbers that's great but i don't think um at the moment we're going to be in a position where you're going to have full stadiums for all three days I think that's quite an unachievable goal, maybe. Yes, and I think uh, from the governing body's point of view, it, it is based around TV times and things for Olympic Games and championships. To my knowledge, that's what I read into it and have heard. It's it's to to fit it into championships, which uh, spoils a little bit the sport, but uh, not the sport, but the, the classical side of things. I think it will make for better sport if it is slightly different. Um, and like I said at the start, is it could be more beneficial for the horses if there's less to do, because three days, and very rarely is it in consecutively, but you've got to have a horse fit and healthy and strong enough to cope with a Grand Prix test, a Grand Prix special, and then freestyle. And it's quite a lot. I know event horses have to do a lot more, um, mm -hmm. but the stresses and strains of it are different, um, and maybe that can help keep horses at their top longer. I suppose one of the other issues that eventing also has uh, is ex explaining it to the public, you know, making it easy to understand what the competition is and what each rider or partnership is trying to achieve. And that is one topic that I, I, I'm interested to see how British Dressage or the FEI will get across to a wider audience outside of the equestrian world, because I, I don't know how you would make it more easily understandable yes well it's an interesting question actually because my previous trainer judy harvey she does the bbc commentary and she is asked by the producers when she's commentating to talk and explain everything that's going on on the screen to people that aren't um, involved in the sport trying to explain everything so to make it for a wider audience but unfortunately for her, the equestrian public hate the fact that she talks over the freestyle, for instance. And, mm. and, and when we listen to commentary, we're like, oh, I wish that just shush a bit and we can listen to the whole thing. But you're being asked by the TV company to talk, um, but you have to manage that when it's a freestyle competition. It's all about that free, the music and the ambiance of it all. And looking forward to the championships this year, the Europeans are at Arkin, is that correct? Yes. So do you think uh, in the last couple of years, even previous to uh, London, British dressage ha has done really well and we seem to be producing a lot uh, stronger teams, not just the, the individuals who go and represent the teams, the three or four people I think it is, but also you know, they seem to have a wider pool to choose from. Um, so how do you think the team's looking for this year? Are we looking at some more gold medals, do you hope? Um. I would like to think so, yes. We've got uh, some potential um, team riders 
for this year who um, have ridden on the team before. Um, it's just uh, keeping, the, keeping their scores up and hoping that um, they can perform like that at a championships is a, is a, is a big step up. Um, but at least some of the riders that are on the sort of long list in my head, um, I, most of them are previous riders of championships. They've had that experience. I think if if all of our team together can produce the tests that they can, yeah, we stand a very good chance um, of being top of the podium. But it's a long way to go. Are there um, any horses who are still climbing the ladder, so to speak, uh, not going up for team selection this year, but any horses or partnerships that you are really excited to see over the next couple of years? Um, well, obviously, yeah, Charlotte's got some very nice horses, so uh, we're very keen on those. Um, off the top of my head, I'm just trying to think what I've seen recently. In, uh, do you mean in the sort of UK riders? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one that obviously comes to mind other than Charlotte's horses is Woodlander Farouche. I mean, she's always been in, in the headlines, and it'll be interesting to see how her career develops. Absolutely, yes. She is an absolutely stunning horse, and Michael rides her superbly. Um, yes, everyone's very interested. Um, also, Laura's new uh, horse is very, very nice. I saw him at Summerford Park. Stallion, she just got a, a potential yeah, future team horses. Do you think that there's been a change um, in the sense that owners are now wanting to keep their horses with British riders? Do you think that that's why British, the British team has been able to develop and keep hold of horses? Um, yes, I think so. I think um, we've got a very good team spirit here in Great Britain, I think. Um, it's, I'm not sure with the jumpers how, if, that's, uh, if that's the same, but I'm sure in the dressage, I think, I think it's a, um, less of a turnaround in horses, I think, in, in the higher end in dressage. Huge thanks to Ian Cast for joining me today on the second episode of the Keyflow podcast. Uh, if anyone would like to follow Ian, either on Twitter, IC Dressage, or have a look at his website, icdressage.com, I'm sure you might be able to learn some things or ask him some questions. But Ian, thanks a lot. It was really, really interesting to speak to you and get an insight into behind the scenes uh, with Charlotte and what you think about the future for British Dressage. Well, thank you very much, Frank. I've had a great time. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast and I really look forward to bringing you the next episode.